Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew's Gospel. It's just two short verses. The story about a treasure hunter. Jesus said to the disciples, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who is in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and he sold all that he had and he bought that one pearl. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This pearl, this pearl is easy to miss. It's just two verses long. It's stuck there in Matthew's Gospel. It's only here. It's embedded in a a big chunk of other parables, which, frankly, are much more interesting than this one. There's the weeds and the wheat that all get mixed up together, right? And there's the sower with the seeds and the soils, and there's the, the leaven in the bread. All these parables seem to have fascinated interpreters over the years. They're all, they're all evocative of the way that, the, that God gives us life. But God gives us this life in secret, hidden in unusual places. It doesn't look at all like what you would expect it to look like. And, and not everyone, it seems, will find this life. What is the pearl of great price? What does it mean for you to look for it? And what does it mean to find it? I want you to imagine for just a second that you're a salesperson. This may be hard for some of you because you secretly think that sales is a dirty job. Your job, imagine, is to find goods. To find them in one place and and take them uh, to another place after you've bought them where you can sell them in a market at a higher price than you paid for them. And you take most of the revenue that you made and you put it into your next purchase of goods. And if there's anything left, you feed your family. Now, unless you count this, I've never been a salesperson. This meeting, this right here, right? I've never been a salesperson, but I know a little bit about sales from my grandfather, who was a traveling pharmaceutical salesperson after World War II. He came back from the war and was assigned to the western states in the era before interstate highways and easy easy plane travel from one city to another. I know that sales is tough on the spirit. You're always away from your family, you're always traveling, you're never at home, you're always working on some kind of deal, you're always negotiating with uncertainty, you're always competing with other salespeople who are out there trying to crush you and and squeeze you out of the market. Can you make your price any lower? Can you do lower margins, get higher volume? Can you survive on what you are making? And if you do make money, will it last you through the lean times when supply dries up or when markets change or disappear? If you're in sales, nothing is ever certain. Nothing's ever given. You've got to be a little bit tough 
even ruthless at times. The goal is profit. To make a profit, you have to believe in yourself and you have to believe in what you're selling. Now, in our story, our salesperson is in search of fine pearls. That's an interesting line of work. Pearls are an ancient signifier of opulence. Pearls were treasured in India and Egypt and the Middle East and China over 5,000 years ago. If you owned pearls, you were wealthy. The pearl craze reached its height in the Roman Empire when legend says that the Egyptian queen Cleopatra bet Mark Antony that that she could serve the most opulent meal ever created. And so as Antony reclined at Cleopatra's table, she took off one from her pair of earrings. The historian Pliny says that the earring was worth $5 million. Cleopatra crushed it up, dissolved it in a glass of wine, and drank it. Antony said, you win. Pearls have always had a great price. So your merchant, our merchant, is searching for the finest pearls. He's looking to cash in on humanity's insatiable appetite for luxury. So you can imagine him in this remote coastal town on the Mediterranean. He's far away from any commercial center. He's looking for a new supply. He's looking for the highest quality pearl. The bags that he carries with him are full of money. He's ready to buy on sight. Now a merchant is having lunch in this small town and a boy comes up to him and the boy says, I hear you're looking for pearls. Well, I have something to show you. He leads the merchant to a small house. The boy closes the door behind them. And he pulls out a box from under the bed. And when he draws back the lid and the light hits its contents, the merchant gasps. The size, the sheen, it's the most beautiful pearl he's ever seen. If Cleopatra's earring was worth five million, what could this be worth? The merchant opens his bag. He empties it all out. He gives it to the boy, and he takes with him the pearl. What are we supposed to make of that? Well, one interpretation says that you and I are the merchant. We are the ones who live in this tough, pressure-filled, precarious life, and we are on a journey. We are seeking something that will make us rich. Perhaps the kingdom of God, what I like to call the beloved community of God, cannot be found except by the one who makes the effort to seek it out. Even if she does not know what she is looking for, she is still searching When God shows us what God wants us to see, when God shows us God's truth, it is luminous, it's breathtaking, it's more beautiful than anything we've ever seen. This way of being in the world, for you know the kingdom of God is not a thing, it's a way of being. This must become the most important thing in our lives. It must shape everything that we do. It must give our life its direction. We give up everything we have to make this pearl this kingdom, this way, 
our own. The Franciscan writer Richard Rohr has said that this pearl of great price, the prize of your life's journey, is your true self. In Rohr's interpretation of this parable, the true self is your God-given self. It is the image of God that God placed in you at your birth, and it has always been with you. But your life's journey, he says, is perilous. Because from your very earliest days in childhood and into young adulthood, you are tempted to give up the true self for a lesser self, what he calls the false self. Your false self, and we all have one, your false self is the one that tells you that your identity comes from your role. You are father, you are mother, you are helper, you are a dutiful child, you are the rebellious one. The false self might tell you that you are your title, you are the co-pastor of the church, you are an executive, you are a partner. The false self will tell you that you are your own self-image, you are, you are composed, you are responsible, you are concerned about others. You are not these things, at least not primarily. For these things all change. Your roles change throughout your life. Your titles will appear and they will disappear. You will fail to live up to your own self-image. Your false self tries to pretend that your faults and flaws are not you, just like the poem that we read in the call to reconciliation. Your false self is a house that is not at home. But your true self never changes. You are first and foremost a beloved child of God. You were created good. You are loved with an everlasting love, a love that we have said over the last few weeks forgives your sins, heals your wounds, mends you at your broken places, holds you in communion with God and with each other. That is your true self. Your true self is in mystical union with God. Your true self is not ruffled by the turbulent waters of time and change which roil at the surface of life. Your true self is immune to want, to disappointment, to distraction, to any feeling of your own unworthiness. This true self abides in the quiet center of your life. It knows the deepest rhythm. It abides with the natural world. It becomes itself without effort or anxiety. Your true self never needs to be right, only to be in right relationship with God and with the creation. The great existential question of your life is, Will you give up the false self for the true self? Will you let go of the self that 
You may have worked so long and so hard to make your status, your self-image, your security. Will you give it up for the true self? Richard Rohr says the difference is no less than the difference between a living heaven and a living hell. So our merchant buys the pearl. But what do you suppose happens next? That's what I want to know. What happens next? These darn parables never tell us. Where does he go? What does he do now that he has this pearl? Well, it could be that he intends to go and sell it. I mean, maybe he carries this big honking pearl around and shows it to kings and emperors, hoping one of them will buy it. How disappointing that would be, wouldn't it? But it's true, some of us can't see life outside of our role, outside of our false self. I don't think Jesus would tell the story if that's what he did. So what then if he doesn't sell the pearl? He takes it back home with him? He's already given away all of the family's money. I mean, I I imagine his partner greeting him at the door. Honey, you've been gone a long time. We missed you and we're starving. Where's dinner? Oh, sorry, dear. I sold everything we have for this pearl. Isn't she a beauty? Let's put her on the mantle. Acquiring this beautiful thing has disrupted the whole ecosystem of his life. He will never be the way he was before this pearl came into his life. But this pearl has no obvious value in this new life, except as a reminder of what he was willing to give up to get it. The strange thing is, there really is a pearl of great price. It's a real thing. It's called the Pearl of Lao Tzu. For many years, it was known as the largest pearl that had ever been found. Its story is is so amazing, it's so outrageous, so complex, and so heartbreaking, it took several pages to tell in the Atlantic magazine last year. The Pearl of Lao Tzu was discovered in 1934 in the Philippines. It had already claimed the life of a young Filipino diver when the giant clam that it was growing in clamped down on him and drowned him tragically. It was brought to the United States by a Filipino-American, and for a minute, this pearl became the subject of fascination. It sat, of course, at the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum, but soon it lost its luster. It, it, It became less interesting to the public. They decided it's actually not even a real pearl. It's not round. It's kind of gross looking. There's nothing really that anyone could do with it. After a time, the only people who found the pearl valuable were those who were enamored by it. 
And they did all manner of unspeakable things, abandoning their families and lying and cheating and swindling and manipulating and extorting, hurting almost everyone that came near them. The pearl sits today in a safe deposit box. The object of numerous court cases seeking restitution for monies swindled by its owners. How much is the pearl worth? Its owner claims $50 million. The one auction house willing to opine about it said this, The pearl has no value except historical. Beyond that, it's a mere curiosity. Well, that's true, isn't it? It's true of the true self, the deep self that knows communion with God, that beckons you, that enchants you when you first see it, that provokes you to let go of everything that the world values about you in order to gain it. It has no value. The true self, the true self is to everyone except you a mere curiosity. In a world that puts a price on everything, your true self is worth nothing. Perhaps that is the thing that this story means to show to you. Perhaps it wants to say that there will come a moment for you when you must relinquish your notion of value itself. You will be asked to give up the things that you value the most in order to gain something that is only valuable if you give it away. I might tell this parable something like this. A merchant went in search of the finest pearls. He found one pearl of extraordinary beauty. He sold everything to gain that pearl. When he returned home with it, the first thing he did was apologize to his partner for putting them into poverty. Then he apprenticed himself in a new trade to feed his family, and he gave the pearl to his hometown as a gift And they put it on display, and sightseers came, and they paid a few dollars each to see it. And with the money, they they improved the school, and they opened a new medical clinic. But in time, people forgot about the pearl. The biggest enduring change was to the merchant himself. He used to rush around, and now he greeted everyone by their name. He was kinder and more generous. He made amends with his old business rivals. He lived each day for the sake of others. He praised God in the morning when he woke up, and he gave thanks to God every night when he lay down. And every once in a while, the merchant would go and look at the pearl and see its beauty. But he smiled because now, now when he looked around him, 
at the world in which God had placed him. Everything and everyone in God's good creation looked to him extraordinary and beautiful and luminous. He used to look at the pearl, and now he looks at the creation and sees the most beautiful thing that God had ever created. 